Uh, good morning, First Alliance Church. It is great to see you all. Um, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, or if you don't know who I am, I uh, my name is Chen, and uh, I serve here at First Alliance Church as a youth pastor. And this morning, I have the absolute privilege of giving God's word to us. Uh, before we begin, though, one thing that I want to let you know about is after months of praying and fasting and seeking the Lord's guidance um, about where we're going to go this summer as FAC youth, um, we've decided uh, the Lord has led our hearts to partnering up with a branch of Alliance Missions called Envision. Uh, so Envision, if you're asking what is Envision, Envision is a discipleship tool that the Alliance Mission developed, and its purpose is to help come alongside churches and ministries uh, to help people discern where God is calling them, whether if it is in missions or local church ministries. So the thing about Envision is that Envision has many sites throughout the world, but this year we're going to be partnering up with Envision Chicago, and uh, we're going to be working with their site leaders this summer. So we'll be spending a week there in July, uh, July 23rd to the 29th, uh, serving their community, and we will also be receiving training from their leaders about how to discern where God is calling you. So something that's really exciting there. So I'm excited for this opportunity, and I'm even more excited for the students who will be going to this and how God is going to work through all of this. So if you have students in grades 9 to 12, this trip is for them. Uh, we'll be having an information meeting next uh, week, January 29th at 12.30 p.m., and it's either going to be in, one, in the youth center or one of the surrounding rooms there. Uh, and by attending this meeting, I just want to let you guys know that you're not committing to anything. Um, and you are just simply there to get information about this trip, okay? So parents and students, if you are interested in this amazing opportunity this summer, we invite you to join us for that meeting next week, all right? So... Um, Getting into our, our time in the Word this morning, as I'm planning this sermon this week, it occurred to me that like whenever I'm up here giving the Word, um, you know, again, it's a privilege, but I, I realize that uh, whatever I preach, it's always like this call to go, to do something. And again, that's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing for us to be obedient to what God is telling us to do. And, you know, on top of that, it doesn't help that I just announced that we're actually going to a mission trip this summer. Um, but this week, I was convinced that as much going that we do, it is just as important for us to realize that we need to rest. You see, it will often seem as if like the, the end of the year, anywhere from Thanksgiving to the new year, is the busiest time of the year. Now, statistically, they say that it is, you know, because you're, you're planning out what's happening right after Thanksgiving, what Christmas is looking like. And then a week after Christmas is New Year's, and you're wondering, hey, where do we go? How do we celebrate all these things? It's busy. Now, again, you know, I agree, Christmas and New Year's, the holiday season is busy, but what if I were to point out that actually there's not so much, I think we probably get accustomed to the busyness of the holiday season, that when the new year starts, we're just kind of like, eh, 
know, we're, we've been busy already, though, so, you know, we have this, this, this view that, okay, since we're busy already in the holiday season, you know, what's so busy about the new year? You see, the thing about the new year is that you're setting goals, right? You set goals, you set expectations, all the while you're putting decorations away. So you think that the new year will bring rest, but I will say that it actually is the opposite. You're, you're actually probably a bit more busy planning, preparing, you know, getting things ready for the year. It is in the midst of the busyness that I believe that God's word gently reminds us to rest. And again, this is something that the Lord is teaching me as well, because I'm a busybody. As you guys can probably tell, I'm like moving around a lot here. But to rest. And again, this rest is just not physically, but spiritually as well. And we'll be looking at what does Jesus do and what's, and how does Jesus do this for us? So we, are, we will be in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Uh, if you do not own a Bible, you guys can use the Bible, grab the Bible in front of you. Uh, feel free to use that. And if you don't have your own personal copy of the Holy Scriptures, uh, we, we, we encourage you to take this home, take it home, receive it as a grace, uh, receive it as a present from us to you guys. And my hope and our prayer is that as you dive into the word more, you will see God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love towards you. So let's, uh, let's read along together here. Uh, Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 to 30. And it says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning, and our prayer is very simple. We open our hearts to you at this time, and we lay down our burdens this morning at your feet, and we wait for your spirit to draw us near to you. May your word pierce our hearts and all the while bring peace and wholeness to us. Refresh us, Lord. Lord, may the words that are spoken this morning, may they be words that are directly from you. I commit this time to you, Lord. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So in this, in our time together here, as we go through this section of scripture, my hope is that we will leave through these doors knowing that when you hear the Lord's call to rest, that you will hear that there is this grace, this invitation of grace. And that in this invitation, there's this exchange that happens. And in this exchange, there is a promise that he gives to you. So we'll jump right into scripture this morning. Our first point is to realize, uh, to realize this invitation that Jesus gives to us. 
So we jump right in, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, this is pretty straightforward, right? Jesus doesn't hide anything here. He's like, this is an invitation. This invitation is pretty straightforward to who it's addressed to. Is that it is addressed to the laboring and the heavy laden. Then we must ask the question, okay, why, though, Lord? What spurred Jesus to extend this invitation to the crowd? So we take a few steps back in verses 25 to 27. Here Jesus details this connection between the Son and the Father. And this helps set the stage that, uh, that He is rest. He is the, the creator of rest. He is where we will find true rest. And this is what we see in these verses is that Jesus says, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. All this to, uh, and, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. When we read this section now, granted, there are many arguments and many discussions as to what Jesus means. Anything, any theological discussions from predestination to free will. But again, that's for another day. Uh, today, to get to the point very quickly, is that Jesus wants to point out to us that when we hear the call, is that there is a sense of humility that we must approach him with. In the middle of chapter 11, Jesus confronts the unbelieving cities of Chorazan and Bethsaida, which were Gentile cities where Jesus performed miracles. And yet, the thing here is that no one repented. No one saw that this is the Lord of rest. This is the Lord who would bring rest. We should go to him. And not only does he talk about the unrepentant cities of the, the Gentile cities, he also turns his attention to the self-righteous city of Capernaum. You see, even though one city didn't know of Jesus and the other one heard of the Messiah and knows the Holy Scriptures, these cities that Jesus talks about, they all had one thing in common, is that they were not willing to receive the invitation of rest when Jesus approached them with it. You see, the thing is that these cities, they still thought that they were better. They were better off. They were like the Gentile cities, like, you know, we don't need rest. We'll find rest in our false gods. And then the self-righteous city of Capernaum is that we will continue in our self-righteous acts and that that is our true rest. That is where we will find rest. So Jesus says, woe to you. Jesus then turns to the crowd around him and says, these cities, they, 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 they disregarded my invitation. So I turn to you, those who will hear this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. To those who are laboring, this invitation is extended to those who are laboring, meaning working to a point of exhaustion and heavy laden, meaning oppressed. 
It is for those who are toiling for salvation and their own strength. If you find yourself trying to win God's favor by trying to live a moral life and receiving merit through it, my question is, isn't it tiring? Isn't it tiring when you're always wondering, wondering, is this going to be enough that I will receive rest? Is this going to merit and is this going to be enough good works that will buy me my salvation? It's tiring. It's exhausting. But here Jesus says the first step to finding true rest is to receive my invitation. H.B. Charles, a pastor from Jacksonville, Florida, says this, Before you can follow Jesus, you must come to him. Before we can think about doing anything for Jesus, before we can go out on that mission trip, before we can go out and say, you know what, we're going to make disciples for him. Now, those are great things. But again, the first thing that Jesus is telling us here is, come to me first. Come to me first. The thing about this invitation is that it's not, it's announced for all, but yet at the same time, it is a personal invitation as well. He extends it to you personally. He, he, it's like receiving a, a invitation to a wedding, and that invitation is personally addressed to you. Or an invitation to visit a famous person that you admire for years and it has your name on it. It's handwritten. You see, this invitation is directed towards those who find themselves in this position. We'll get into a little bit as to even how, like, how does he give this invitation and what attitude he gives it. And we'll get into that in, in a little bit. As we continue on, there's something else that we want to note here, too, is that notice that Jesus doesn't ask how you got there, how you became uh, how you became laboring, how you became heavy laden. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't highlight that. He doesn't go, he doesn't say, you know what, like I told you a bunch of times not to do that and you found yourself doing that, so you got to fix yourself, get yourself out of that hole, get yourself out of that situation, then you can receive my invitation. Jesus doesn't do that. You see, Jesus extends the invitation to where you and I are at. Sometimes we may feel as if that we need to get to a certain point of our spiritual journey to be able to receive, to get Jesus' invitation. But it is not the case when we look in Scripture here, right? Jesus simply says, come to me wherever you are, and I will give you rest. As we continue on, this rest is kind of like a terms and condition kind of a thing right here. Jesus puts in this verse and that as you come to him, you will find rest. And we'll, def- we'll, def- we'll define what this term rest means in a second here as well. Jesus is pretty straightforward with this invitation. 
when we talk about personal invitations, when you receive one, um, doesn't it like just fill your soul with joy, right? Like when you go to the, your mailbox and you open it up and then like you get a bunch of junk mail that's addressed to you. I'm just kidding. No, like an invitation that's addressed to you. It fills your soul with joy. You're like, man, this person knows me. This person reaches out, has reached out to me. When my wife and I uh, started serving in Detroit a few years ago, uh, there's this Hispanic grocery store called Honeybee. Uh, that place was beautiful. Uh, you can ask my wife is that. Sometimes we'll just go there just so I can look at the grocery stores because the grocery, because it was beautiful. Like it was well lit. The colors were just out there. And then on top of that, there was a, uh, uh, one of the things where it's like a sampling of your guacamole, sampling guacamole, best guacamole there is. Uh, but we would go there. We started going there for lunch. And when we ordered our food, they were asked what type of meat or protein we would like with that. Uh, I personally, I always ordered the marinated pork. Um, every time. Great. It, it tastes delicious. So there we were. Uh, my wife and I, first time there, uh, waiting for our meal. And when they had the meal ready, uh, they wouldn't call your name. They didn't take your name down. They just simply said, hey, this is the protein that... This, this meal is, uh, has. So they called out Al Pastor, Al Pastor. I was like, hey, I'm a pastor. How did they know? How did they know so much about me when I just moved to the city? Like, it's my first time here. How did they, did they go on Facebook? Did they like find out that I moved here? You see, there was this joy that filled my heart like no other. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm Al Pastor. I grabbed it, and now only to find out that al pastor means marinated pork in Spanish. Um, now, eventually, they did know that I was, uh, I would always be the guy that would order the al pastor protein. But at that moment, when I thought that they knew me and that I was a pastor in Detroit, I was happy. It, it was good to know that I was seen. Well, at least I thought I was. You see, here's the thing about Jesus' invitation, though. Jesus' invitation is not a mix-up of translation. Jesus' invitation is personal to you. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your job. He knows the responsibilities that you hold. There is nothing that you can hide from the Lord. He knows where you are at at this very moment. And he extends his invitation to you this morning. So we see Jesus is uh, extending his invitation to the unrest. And again, remember that this unrest uh, or this invitation to the unrest is a personal call to you. But here's the thing. It is, not just, it is not just simply hearing the invitation, as great as that may be, but there is an action that we are called to do, and that is to go to Jesus and to exchange our unrest with his rest. So our second point of our uh, of this text this morning is that the exchange for the unrest. 
So what do we mean by this? Let's continue on in verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, within this verse, there are so many amazing things that we can unpack here. But for the sake of time, we'll focus on, on these two things. Is What is Jesus' yoke? What does that mean? And secondly, Jesus' character in this. So our first, Jesus' yoke. How, what do we know and what do we understand about this when Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. So Jesus you know, again, the master teacher, he, he uses an illustration that the people knew. The people at that time, to take upon a yoke, uh, it was a farming term that a lot of the people were familiar with. So if you don't know what a yoke is, a yoke was a tool that farmers would use. A, a, uh, you can imagine a piece of wood that was hung over the mules that would work in the field. And oftentimes when there will be a new mule that they're trying to train for the field work, they would tie this, this new mule with an older, mature, stronger mule on the same yoke. And as they work together in the field, eventually this, the, the, the new mule, the new younger mule, will grow stronger and would know what to do, all the while still being attached with the stronger mule who will lead and guide. You see, Jesus comes to us in exchange for our unrest. We are called to take upon his yoke, meaning that we come under his submissive, uh, we come under him, we, we, we are submissive to Jesus' authority, and we learn from him. We should ask this. We should also ask, what is unique about Jesus' yoke then? Is Jesus, isn't Jesus' yoke the same thing that the Pharisees and the scribes were talking about? Isn't it as simple as upholding the law? Living a moral life. Keeping the Sabbath, the Sabbath, etc., etc. No. The simple answer is no. You see, Jesus' yoke is one that brings freedom by finding satisfaction in him. You are no longer toiling in life for life or trying to find meaning or purpose. Instead, you find satisfaction in Jesus, in himself. You find your soul finds rest in him. Pastor H.B. Charles uh, continues to say, he says this, To take his yoke, Jesus is teaching us, contrary to what the world tells us, true rest is not freedom from responsibility. It is holy bondage to the purpose for which God has created you. I love that. I love that. Let me repeat that again. Is that to take his yoke... Jesus is teaching us, contrary to what the world tells us, true rest is not freedom from responsibility. It is holy bondage to the purpose for which God has created you. 
That is, this is not a bait and switch game plan. It is not like the show Shark Tank, which I've been watching a lot of. Uh, it's not like Shark Tank where Jesus is trying to, 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 to make this deal with you so that he can be, benefit from it, so that he can get the best deal for himself. No, if anything, all of this is saying that Jesus wants to get you the best deal. Jesus is saying, exchange that bad, that unrest that's eating at your soul for my grace, for my power, for my mercy, for my love. Be encouraged that Jesus is looking out for you in this moment. One word that we want to highlight in this passage of scripture is this five-letter word that we see, and it's placed right in the middle of the section, is learn. To learn from Jesus, what do we mean by that? What does Jesus mean when he tells us to learn? To learn from Jesus is to learn of his character and to be transformed into his likeness from it. Which leads us to... Our next point is Jesus' character. What is it about Jesus' character that we want to learn? Jesus, what does Jesus mean here? He uses two words to describe his character at this moment, gentle and lowly. So what does Jesus mean by gentle and lonely? Gentle. Uh, or in the King James Version of this passage, it's meek. Jesus wants us to know that he is caring. Uh, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's pretty straightforward, right? He's... But, but the thing I want to realize is the other side of the coin is that we have to realize that gentleness is not weakness. In fact, this term gentle should let us know how strong Jesus is, how great Jesus is. And what do I mean by that? Because he is powerful, right? He is great. And yet at the same time, he is a control of his strength. I'm often told that I am a heavy-handed person. So when it comes to washing the dishes or moving something, is that like, yeah, you know, like I can... You know, I'll probably break the dishes, is that that's not gentle. But here Jesus is saying, I am gentle. I know I am strong. I know my strength. I know that I can, I can say one word and you can be obliterated. You can be gone from existence. But yet, I would not do that. I am gentle with my strength. He is gentle with you and I. He is gentle, especially with those who say that they are restless. This next word that he uses is lowly, is that he is humble. And again, there's probably no better passage in scripture that we see than an action of Jesus' lowly heart than in John chapter 13. His humility. So recall in John chapter 13 is that Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, yeah? 
John records that Jesus would wash Peter's feet, which we know that Jesus, Peter will be the one that denies Jesus three times. But again, as we know, as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, most likely he probably washed the feet of the one who will betray him as well. Even though Jesus knew that this one disciple would betray him, he would still wash this disciple's feet. You see, if we're thinking about humility, Jesus models it perfectly. Jesus models humility in its true form. So if you're asking, is Jesus approachable? If you're sitting there and you're asking, is Jesus approachable? Will he receive someone like me, someone who is restless? Will he receive me, someone who is troubled? Will he receive me, someone who is broken? You see, the thing about people who are restless is that they're not fun to be around, right? People who are troubled are not fun to be around. People who are broken are not fun to be around. You ever been to a dinner party where there was someone that was just in a negative mood all the time? You don't want to be around them. You don't want to say, I'm going to spend time with you. You turn the other way. But here's the thing, is that Jesus, because he is gentle, he is lowly, he is able he is approachable glory to god if you even if you find yourself as someone who is restless someone who is troubled someone who is broken all glory to god that from this text we see that jesus is lowly and gentle and he will receive you would you go to him As we are yoked with Jesus, we learn from him. His character takes hold of our souls. Take, for example, when you're near or when you're close to someone for a long time, you start to act like them. You start to have the same mannerisms. You start to uh, say the same things. One of the... One of the amazing things about uh, my wife and I, our, our marriage, is that when there are moments where we go like, we were just thinking the same thing. You see, this, this overflows into the topic of discipleship here to learn. You see, there are many curriculums, plans, strategies out there on how to do discipleship well. And though those methods are great, they are tried and true, and they, they play a big part of our development as Christ followers. I believe one of the best ways that we can learn, the one of the best ways that we can be discipled is simply to be around. I think back to when I wanted to learn how to fish. Uh, I would hang out with my friend Kevin, um, and Kevin and I, we worked at this church nearby Crown College together for a summer. And after we get done with work, we'll go out. Uh, there's this lake behind Crown College, and Kevin was an admin fisherman. He, he's a pro. So uh, we'll go fishing for a few hours, and at this moment, I would just, and those moments, I would just simply look and see how Kevin would do things. 
how he would tie a fishing knot, how he would set a hook, how he would know that, hey, let's go over this area because this is where the fish are biting at 7 p.m. There was a time where he was very accurate. He was like 7.23, and I was like, is it 7.23 or is it just 7? I don't know. But we go, and again, we, we, he, he was great at fishing. Now, over time, I started to pick up on some of the things that he did just simply by being around him, by simply observing. And then I will start to go out by myself whenever I had the time. Now, granted, I, I still suck at fishing, but uh, at least I know how to tie a fishing knot. And uh, I know how to cast, right? So I'm good there. See, the thing is, when we are yoked with Jesus, we will start to see that he transforms us from the inside out. We find rest in who we are in him, and we find satisfaction with what he does through us. To have Jesus' yoke on you is not bad. If anything, it's an amazing promise. It is an amazing thing that happens. Because this yoke is a promise that he is with you. You are yoked with him and you are in him. And because you are with him, welcome the promise that comes with him in this moment. So to our last point, the promise to the unrest. Jesus says in verse 30, Jesus says this is, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This thing about this, the the thing about this yoke that Jesus puts on you is one that is designed for you. It is not as if you say, yes, Jesus, I'm coming before you and I receive your invitation. And then Jesus goes back to the back shed. And he, he, he picks up some old uh, uh, yoke and he just simply throws it upon you where it doesn't fit. It's uncomfortable. No, Jesus takes care of you. Jesus makes sure that the yoke that he places on you is sanded. It is carved to your liking. It is carved to fit you. He takes note of what's going on in your life and where you're at. And as he places that yoke upon you, it fits you perfectly. Oftentimes, we think that it is the same yoke that everybody shares. That because I've gone and I've used this yoke, Jesus has put this yoke on me. I'm going to put the same yoke on somebody else. Is that no, not everybody's yoke will be easy for everybody else. And the thing is that it is okay. It's like a custom-made pair of sneakers. Is that it's just for you. It fits you perfectly. It's molded to your feet. It is unique. There is no one else in the world that has the same pair of shoes as you. And in this unique yoke, in this personalized yoke, Jesus does, does something amazing. And this is, I love how David Platt, author of the book Radical, how he puts it. Jesus has invited us to be in the yoke with him, to experience his power, his strength, his grace, 
His mercy working in and through us on a moment-by-moment basis all throughout this day. What an amazing promise that is, is that when you are yoked with Jesus, you get to experience his power, his strength, his grace, his mercy. What an amazing promise, amen? We continue on to the last part of verse 30, is that my burden is light. When I first read this many years ago, I was like, this is the most oxymoron verse there is, is that how can a burden be light? If it is a burden, then it's not light, right? So the point that Jesus wants us to know is that this burden is that Jesus carries the heavy side of this burden. We are simply along for the ride. And as we are along with Jesus in this, we learn And we grow. We say, Jesus, transform us from the inside out. As we conclude this morning, our passage, what what, uh, chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus is about true rest. This true rest is one that satisfies our longing souls and gives us peace. Jesus, the one who is gentle and lowly, extends this invitation to you who find themselves as restless this morning. And he asks, exchange that with me. Give me your unrest, and I will give you rest. I will give you the promise of rest. My challenge and encouragement to you this week is this, is ask the Lord. Take a moment throughout your week and your busy week. Ask the Lord, have I been ignoring your call to rest? Or ask, have I been trying in my own strength to do what you have called me to do, but rather than submitting myself to your yoke, I'm going to do it myself, my way. See, these are questions that I pray and I hope that the Lord will answer for you this week. If you find yourself in a moment of restlessness, or if you are in a season of restlessness, hear his invitation this morning. Hear this invitation that he extends to you. Come to me. Find rest. Not just sleeping rest. As great as that may sound. But find rest for your soul. Find satisfaction in me for your soul. And know that I am gentle. And lowly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I pray this over those in this room this very morning. Those who find themselves in a season of unrest. 
could be to life circumstances, could be to work. Lord, I pray this passage over those who find themselves there. Lord, would your spirit move and would your spirit bring them rest knowing that you are a God, you are the God who is in control. You are the God of rest. You are the God that brings us to true rest. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we ask, would your spirit fall? Bring us rest this morning. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.